Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always, Josh Marlowe with me. And today, we are taking a look at the mid-season, uh, adi- or mid-season look back on this Tar Heel team. I-, I don't even know how to really phrase this, because I'm going to be honest with you. There's not a ton of positivity <laughs> around this Toriel football team this season. We don't really have to tell you guys that. Look, I mean, it's I mean, it is what it is. It's a lack of consistency from this team so far this season that makes it extremely hard um, to really be overly positive about a lot of the stuff that is going on. But look, this team's still four and three. Uh, they still have a shot to make a bowl game. So it's not like this season is completely over and there's absolutely nothing to play for. Um, so we're gonna hand out some awards today. There are some guys that have played pretty well on this team, um, for sure, that have had good individual performances, even though the team hasn't had a great individual performance. So we'll do that. We'll give away our midseason awards. Normally, those are kind of sandwiched in episodes. We did that last year. Um, So this year with this mid-season edition of the podcast kind of being standalone, uh, it's a little bit different. So we're going to do that. We're going to tell you the top three position groups that must improve and we are also going to give our new record predictions for the season at the end of the episode. That'll be real quick. We'll also tell you at the end of the show about a couple of important recruiting notes that you guys should be keeping an eye on. But first, in case you guys missed it, and we're not really going to talk too much about this, really just wanted to reiterate this again in case you guys missed it, uh, was Choffrey Brown entering the transfer portal. Uh, The Tar Heels wide receiver started two games a year ago, played in all 12 games. Uh, So far this season, have played in the first six games of the season, but did not play the other day uh, against the Miami Hurricanes. Probably should have been a little bit telling at that point. He was in uniform. He was available, but Carolina didn't use him uh, for any snaps in the game against the Hurricanes, and he enters the transfer portal. A guy that, when he had the football in his hands, was rather electric. Uh, in his career, 16 catches for a little over 400 yards, um, and he was extremely productive uh, You know when, when he did 
have the football, as I mentioned, because he can make guys miss in the open field. He had good speed. There are attributes there, but this is something that I think some people probably could have uh, seen coming. You figured it would be someone from this wide receiving core with the amount of bodies that were there and some of the struggles that they've had so far this season. Um, But, you know, I I don't know if we thought it would be Choffrey Brown. And to be honest with you, I think this is one that uh, a lot of people will probably try to downplay. But I think that this is a guy that when he caught the football, he brought probably the most value to you of these outside wide receivers uh, that are struggling through this season. The problem was, was you said when he caught the football, the drops were an issue. Um, and they they really plagued him this year, and it, it plagued the ability to have a consistent number two to Josh Downs being your your number one target. Um, it, it is unfortunate because his brother Dion, you know, Deami Brown started here, so you're losing, you know, a, a person that's a part of your legitimate Tar Heel football family if there is such a thing. But there is a chance for him to go somewhere. And, and better himself become a because he, he has the talent. This was more of a confidence issue where the issues he has had gotten to his mental state. He needs to correct that. Um, but it really sucks because it looks like it's going to be next year before Carolina has a legitimate number two wide receiver to throw the football to. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, look, there was no guarantee that Brown was going to be that guy. But I think we all kind of felt like if he could find a way to sort of get that drop issue out of the way, he's the guy that's probably shown the most promise. Now, the problem is he'd only caught one pass so far this year. But that one pass was a 75-yard touchdown in the game game against Virginia so that yeah it it definitely hurts we've talked about it Carolina should look to some of these younger guys try to find out what you got in that unit and I've already said I think that's a position where they need to go and get at least one if not two guys in this next uh, transfer portal round because there's no guarantee as of right now that they're going to be able to land a wide receiver uh, that can play on the outside even in this upcoming recruiting class and as they've shown with some of their hesitancies with some of the guys that are currently on campus even if they do get a guy like that clearly they are not a, a team that is going to rush a true freshman out there. They want that that guy to learn the system um, and sort of climb the depth chart. So they may end up looking into the transfer portal uh, to try to find someone to help replace some of the production that is still left behind by Deami Brown and now will be left behind by his brother who is in the transfer portal in Chaffrey Brown. Well, let's take a look at our midseason awards. Uh, Carolina's seven games into this season, so we've got a pretty good sample size of these guys. We'll start with the Offensive Player of the Year. We're not going to go with an overall Player of the Year. Really, we're just going to do offensive and defensive here. Um, And when you look on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, look, I think it comes down to two guys. It's either quarterback Sam Howell, who has pretty much willed this team to four victories so far this season. Um, He has taken a ton of hits throughout the year, but he's a guy that even though he's not throwing the football as well as some people Uh, predicted that he would he has found that touch on the ground running the football he's become scooting Sammy at times and he has had a lot of success with that and I mean this past weekend against Miami I think showed it best of a guy that is just laying his body on the line to try to win football games for this team and for this program and uh, I I think he definitely deserves a mention here but let's be honest there's no way that you can't go with Josh Downs as the offensive player of the year here 
He's just been that damn good. I'm going to be honest with you. It's it's unbelievable how good he's been so far this season. And, uh, I mean, we, we've talked about it here on and off. He's been so productive, even with the fact that teams clearly have to be recognizing that he's as good as he is. That's been the thing. He has been consistently the best offensive player for Carolina through their first seven games. More consistent than Sam Howell. Of course, any other wide receiver on the roster, running backs, um, and then, of course, that offensive line that that we have. He He's having a special season that won't get the national recognition it deserves because of Carolina's win-loss record. Um, he may end up as an All-American, um, but because of Carolina's win-loss record, that could be brought into jeopardy. Every expectation that we had entering this season – and there were a lot of them, he has exceeded. And how many times does that happen? A lot of people might meet expectations. It's very rare for a player to exceed expectations. And Josh Downs has done that. Um, from the very word go at Virginia Tech, since that since that game, going back to the Orange Bowl game last year, um, and, it's, and it's been really key the last couple weeks because defenses know Trophy Brown wasn't going to beat you. Emory Simmons, they weren't going to beat you. The tight ends aren't used enough in the offense to beat you. So they're trying to take away Josh Downs, and they still haven't been able to take away Josh Downs. That's what that's what makes it the most amazing, is these te- these defenses are scheming to take him away. Phil Longo is still finding creative ways to get him the football because when he touches the football, special things happen. 60 catches in seven games so far this season, 837 yards. And eight touchdowns. He's averaging 14 yards per reception, which is just, that's crazy for a slot receiver. You rarely see those types of averages, especially for a guy that's caught the football as much as he had. But he's electric in the open field. Anytime he touches it, there's a chance that he can take it to the house. And so far this season, in all seven games, he has at least eight receptions, at least 50 yards, and at least one touchdown. This guy is tearing it up. Carolina may not be having the year that they were expecting on any sides of the football or overall, but this is a guy that if he continues to produce at this pace, there is no way possible that you can leave him off of first-team All-American. He is just going to be way too productive. He currently leads all Power 5 receivers in receiving. And you're talking about guys that you've touched on multiple times on this podcast, and you talk about a lot off the podcast because I think somehow you want one of them on the Cowboys at this point, which I don't know how you have room for them. Chris Alave, Garrett Wilson, um, Jamison Williams at at Alabama. I mean, you've got guys that are more highly regarded than Downs, who was highly regarded himself, and he leads all of those guys in receiving yards. You really just have to hand it to him. The defensive side of the ball, a little bit tougher. Hmm. Um, I mean, look, Miles Murphy is flashed at times. I mean, the stats would tell you he's having a pretty good season. And, I mean, look, he has moments where he looks really good. He's got eight and a half tackles for loss and four sacks. Uh, He's pretty productive for an interior defensive lineman, but he's a guy that just just hasn't been consistent enough for Carolina up front. He's disappeared in certain games. That's something Carolina is hoping he can correct as he goes forward. And it makes a little bit of sense because he is still a young guy as a sophomore. Um, you know, talk about a guy like Jeremiah Gimmel who's been steady, but really hasn't probably lived up to some of the expectations that we had for him before the season where we thought he would be far and away the leader in tackles on this team and one of the best linebackers in the ACC. I thought he could be a first-team all-ACC linebacker. 
Now, he may still have a shot at that because there are so many that are injured in the ACC, but he definitely hasn't played to the level that we thought he was going to play to this point. I think the toughest one to not go with here was Cedric Gray. I mean, look, he started four games, and he's third on the team in tackles. He has 35 tackles this season, only one tackle for loss, but he's done a really good job of playing where he needs to play, which is in the middle of that defense. Um, he plays that inside linebacker, the, the middle linebacker role very well, um, and he has the two interceptions. He's dropped back into coverage and looked very good, uh, much better in coverage than a lot of the linebackers that we've seen in recent years for Carolina. We went with Jaquarius Conley, though, because from the word go, he has been one of the leaders of this defensive group has he had some missed tackles at times yes a lot of these guys have as well though but um, he, ha he has played extremely well all season long he had a massive interception in that game against Virginia and when Carolina has needed him to step up and play well so far this season he has he's also brought a lot of versatility to that defensive backfield because he's been able to play that strong safety role we've seen him move back into that nickelback role at one point so I, I think Jaquarius Conley is the pick here but I, I definitely think you can make it case for Cedric Gray as well. Yeah, prior to the emergence of, of said Gray, Jaquarius Conley was the one given you could count on with this Tar Heel defense that was going to show up, play hard for 60 minutes, and give Carolina a chance defensively. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. If he wouldn't have been on the field against Virginia Tech, Carolina would have gotten blown out. He was the best player on the field maybe that entire night between those two teams. Just wasn't enough for Carolina to get to get a win in, in, the, in, in the win column. But he, you know, and you gotta remember, he broke his, he had the hand injury. Yep. Was playing out there with one hand and was still our best defensive Came player. Came back in the game that he broke his hand in with the club and didn't miss any time after that. He, he missed what? Maybe like a quarter with a broken hand. Like, so has he had missed tackles? Yes. But every player on this defense. Yep. Including backups who haven't been on the field have had their fair share of missed tackles. He's been a lot of fun to watch in that secondary. He gives you that rude boy type of vibe because he ain't he ain't afraid to lay the hammer. He will get down in in, in the box and, and make plays and run support. He's usually in position to try to make plays in the passing game, and it's something that uh, hopefully moving forward, whenever we can fix the issues up front in that linebacker spot, Jay Bateman can kind of toy with him and put him around the field where you can be an, an even more dynamic playmaker because. He has the ability to be a game-changing defensive back. And as I talked all summer long, you look at the great defenses, even good defenses, you got to have a game-changer in, in, in that secondary. Jaquarius Conley is that. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I think the best spot for him in terms of how he can impact this team is at Nickelback because I think when you send him off the edge on blitzes, he can cause problems for a lot of people. We saw that in the game against Duke. They used him in that role, and it worked out very, very well for him. That would be the ideal spot, but the problem is is you've got to find – I mean, you're talking about the linebacker and defensive line portions of them doing their jobs I think they've got to find guys in the secondary that they can rely on because I still don't feel like they feel like there are guys back there that they can have a ton of confidence in snap to snap I mean we've seen times where Cameron Kelly's look good we've seen times where Cameron Kelly has missed tackles in the open field or doesn't make the smart play on the football as he did this past week against Miami when he you know went for a hit against Tyler Van Dyke instead of trying to tackle him short of the line of scrimmage tried to blow him up 
possibly force a ta- force a fumble, and he ends up spinning for a first down. You've had moments like that that are just sometimes a little frustrating, and you need that consistency to show up. If they can find somebody at that strong safety spot, and you can put him at nickel, I feel like that's probably what is best for this team, and hopefully that's what they'll be able to do. I mean, I was wrong. I thought before the season started, his best spot would be at strong safety, but I think it's proven that he, playing him at nickel is, is is what's going to allow Jay Bateman to get the most pressure and Jay Bateman's defense to be at its best. Uh, but we'll see. The second half of the season, a lot of different groups have to improve. And uh, as we told you, we're going to look at the three position groups uh, that we think have to be the most improved here. So we you know, brainstormed. We came up with the groups that we thought um, needed to be the most improved here. I mean, look, there are a lot of groups that you can go to here for sure. Um, I think basically the uh, you, you can go with the offensive line, wide receivers on the offensive side, and then on the defensive side, you can go with every unit. That needs to improve. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, you can cut some slack, I think, to the other offensive groups. But other than that, I really feel like a lot of these groups, you can talk about the improvement. But we narrowed it down to three, so we're going to go three to one. And we'll kind of, you know, talk about, you know, what needs to be improved, who we really need to see step up here as the season goes along. Number three um, and I was kind of shocked by this. We both agreed this was pretty obvious as well. Uh, was the defensive line? This is not a group that is devoid of talent. I think the other two groups that we're going to talk about here, there may be a, a an, an issue with talent. There might be guys that really just aren't as good as we thought they were. I think with the defensive line group, there are guys that are really good. But I think the lack of consistency is the issue here. And here's the other thing. When we say D-line, we mean basically your def- interior defensive linemen with their hands down and your uh, edge rushers. Both of those are kind of lumped into this one group together. Yeah, you know, all during the summer we were promised um, less snaps but more production because there was much more improved depth up front than there had been the first two years. And that just simply hasn't come to fruition for Carolina. There's not been a good defense in the history of football that was good without a a dominant, or not even dominant, a good above-average defensive line. Carolina doesn't get that. They get below-average defensive line play. And it's it's more of just the fact that it's not consistent production because you mentioned what Miles Murphy has done. Oh, man, you'd think that's – well, that's great. Well, it is great if you did that in four games instead of seven and you have a couple games where you don't show up in the stat sheet. And that's been the biggest problem with Carolina. Ray Volosik, this is a guy that feels still as a preseason third-team All-American. This guy has, it hasn't lived up to it. Carolina's got to get better up front. I'm, I'm with you. I think there's talent there. Yep. I just don't think the talent is is producing on Saturdays. Maybe produces Tuesday through Friday against our offensive line. That's not saying a whole lot. But on Saturday, it's got to show up more often, more consistently. Because when Carolina's played really good defensive football under Jay Bateman, what has happened? They've won up front with their with their pass rush with just three guys. I don't have to send five or six guys to go to that quarterback. So. I mean, it's got to start there because, like, like with a, a good offense, you can't have a good defense unless you got good defensive line play. Yeah, I, I mean, look, like you said with Miles Murphy, I think those stats would even be great if they were spread out over all seven games. 
The problem is, and we've seen this for just every year that Jay Bateman is, has been here, and even before that, when under the Larry Fedora tenure, there are guys on the defensive line and at the edge rusher positions that have a really big game that inflates their stats a little bit, and then they disappear for a game or two. Yep. Murphy hasn't been that bad at times. He's kind of popped up just about every game. He makes a play or two. But you need him to be a more consistent presence in that backfield because there are some times where he just gets road graded and taken out of the play. Um, now, part of that is that, look, there are going to be times where he's going to get doubled and other guys have to step up, and that just simply hasn't happened. But you're really hoping that some of these guys can build off of that. The The good news is is that these guys are young. Miles Murphy's not going anywhere uh, just yet. He's going to be a part of this team next season, you would imagine. Uh, Javori Ritzy is another young guy, true freshman, who's shown some nice signs. He's going to be a part of this group. Kamen Rucker, he's shown some really good things. But again, lacks that consistency. I think I'm with you. The most frustrating part of this is that guys like Ray Velasik, who, you know, I think to a certain extent for him, he gets doubled a lot inside. To me, I think where the disappointment lies is on a guy like Tamon Fox. Yes. Who came back for his senior year on the outside. You needed a guy to take you needed him to take that next step and be able to win those one-on-one battles that Mac Brown talks so much about in the preseason. We don't want to have to blitz as much. We want our guys to be able to win the one-on-one battles in the trenches. You thought Tamon Fox coming back for the super senior year might be able to give you something to that extent to start the season out and maybe some of the younger guys would come along. I, you haven't really seen that, and to be honest, I mean, the guys on the edge have really been non-existent outside of the occasional flash from Tamon Fox and the times where Cayman Rucker has stood up. Outside of that, Chris Collins hasn't been anywhere close to a consistent presence. To be fair, I don't even th- – if, if I saw the other day correctly, I don't think he played against Miami. Um, it didn't look like he was on the field. And Dez Evans has not been anywhere near what we thought he was going to be this season. They raved so much about him in the offseason, how he would play such a big role, how he had put on the weight, and they were going to utilize him a lot this year. He has not even come close to being – a consistent role player for Carolina so far this year. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. Um, and it's just been really disappointing because you thought bringing back Timon Fox was going to give you a boost. Um, that hasn't happened. Des Evans did everything right in the offseason we thought to be a productive player. That also hasn't happened. So a lot of questions about that. The the just the future of that defensive line, how, how it makes up moving forward. And it opens the door for some of the younger guys. A guy that came in in, in, in August, Travion Stevenson, uh, who, you know, was a late enrollee as an outside linebacker, he could have a chance to make an early impact, um, you know, by, by next year. So the door's going to be open. There's going to be a lot of battles in the offseason. But this year, for this team to take a step forward and to make a bowl game, they've got to have that group step up. The next one I think is pretty obvious. Wide receivers got to be better. Um, outside of Josh Downs, it's non-existent. And it, it, somehow, week to week, it keeps getting worse. This past week against Miami, they had one catch from another wide receiver besides Josh Downs. One. And it was from Antone Green. That was it. That is 
unacceptable. And you can say, well, Sam Howell's not throwing to guys. I've seen a lot of people say that. Are there times where Sam Howell probably misses throwing to some of these guys open? Yes, that is going to happen. And part of the time, it's probably because he's looking for the guy that he can rely on in Josh Downs. Other times, he just misses guys. But this group is not creating consistent separation. When the ball is thrown their way, they haven't been able to consistently catch the football. They need somebody to emerge from this group. They've got guys that they talk so much about in the offseason that they said it taken those steps to become those guys. Now we've got to see that. And I think the most important thing, like we saw after they lost Mac Hollins until they got to Deami Brown, they need to find that deep threat as soon as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, there's really no excuse to not play the freshman coming back from the bye week. Yep. I, I don't care if they lose a red shirt. I, frankly, I don't give a damn. You're not winning with Emory Simmons, Anton Green, Justin Olsen out there trying to catch the football for you because that's been proven. They haven't won. So you need to put out the freshman, uh, J.J. Jones, Kobe, Kobe Paysauer was Paysauer. talked about a lot in, in the preseason. He Blackwell has the connection from Sam Howell coming out of high school. Okay, I do want to explain this with Blackwell, though. Blackwell is a smaller receiver. He's 5'11", so he probably projects more to the slot. So if you don't see him, because there were a lot of people that are asking, why not put him on the outside? Why can't we see him? He is a guy that might not fit on the outside. But Paysauer and Jones, I think you've got to try them out at this point because right now on the outside, you don't have anybody else. And if, you, and if you're not, if you're not going to trot those guys out there because you don't think they're ready, you don't want to burn a red shirt, whatever, then Phil Longo, you need to involve your tight ends more in your offense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one or the other. Yep. Either you play the young wide receivers or you evolve and you understand you've got Kamari Morales who has made plays for you in the passing game. You've got other guys that you you would think could catch the football, throw them the ball because you're not going to beat these teams you got to beat after the bye week just throwing the football to Josh Downs. And if you think you are, you're going to root awakening for you coming down this bye. I mean, we've seen it. it it's it just it, even in the games that he has been productive in and that Carolina has lost. Like, look at Virginia Tech, for example. They took away everybody except Josh Downs, and that was the difference in the football game. I mean, you had Sam Howell force, forced into three turnovers because of it, because he couldn't – there was no production anywhere else. Nobody could create separation. We're not saying you have to go away from guys completely like Emory Simmons – and Anton Green. They've done a really good job in run blocking on the outside. It doesn't hurt. You know, honestly, it sucks that they can't play O-line at this point because they've run blocked at times better than the offensive line has itself. But you, you've got to find somebody that can help you out production-wise at receiver. And if that means putting those guys out there for some reps and seeing what you got in them early on and seeing where they need to develop for – when you want to use them later on, then you need to do it. This is the time to do it right now. Tylee Craft's another one. I think a lot of people forget about him. He's got a big frame on the outside, and he can run. Put him out there, and let's see what you've got, because at this point, you've got nothing to lose. This isn't a group that we're saying is underproducing, and they're you know combining for six or seven catches a game. This group is routinely combining for two or one catch per game. That is unacceptable at any level of football 
in the modern era. In this pass-heavy era that you live in, you have got to have multiple receivers. If you don't, your offense is going to get shut down. And with some of the defenses, as you mentioned, that you're facing coming up, you you need to have these guys or else it's going to be a, a, a rough day. The other area that we needs to improve, this shouldn't shock anybody. The, the area that needs the most improvement is offensive line. Now, I'll say this. I think that since they've pretty much settled on Kieran Johnson being their guy at center, the unit has looked better the last two weeks. Has it looked good? Not really. It's looked rather average, if not below average still, especially in run blocking. But I think that you've settled that center position that's allowed some of the guys, you know, that you have the same voice communicating to you, snap in, snap out. They're still rotating at left tackle and left guard a lot. I think that's something that is 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 good at times when guys are struggling, but can also be dangerous. Um, and and they've got to be able to find some consistent forces down there and start winning at the line of scrimmage. Because I'm going to be honest with you, is there a game this season? Maybe maybe Duke, but I don't even know. Well, Virginia. Outside of Virginia, is there a game this season where you look at the offensive line and say they clearly won their matchup? I don't see it because I didn't even see it really against Duke. So that's got to be something going forward, especially, again, with the opponents that you're getting ready to face. Carolina is not going to get improved offensive line play until they got a new offensive line coach. It's At this point, it's just that simple. Um, I, I understood why he hired him. I, I got it. I understood why he brought him back after the first year. I get retaining him after last year because that offensive line during the COVID year, I thought they showed a lot of progress. You returned a lot of those guys. You thought they were going to take the next step. That hasn't happened. Is no, it? no. You returned all of those guys. Make sure you get that. You returned the same group, and you've got the worst offensive line we have seen here since I've been watching this team play. And and to me, that's a coaching issue. Yeah, are the guys not executing and performing? Sure. But the coaching hasn't corrected their flaws. You haven't made the, they didn't take the next step they were supposed to take this year. You didn't develop them. And that's that that's a coaching issue. A lot, a lot with the defensive line. I think there's talent here. I think they have the potential to be a very good offensive line. Dominant? No. Very good? Yes. And you don't got to have a dominant O-line to win national titles or compete to win an ACC title because Clemson has, hasn't had a dominant O-line during their whole reign of owning the ACC. But you got to be good. And, and when Carolina's got a good offensive line play, this offense can drop 40 on any defense, and they can compete with just about any team that they've played, whether it's a number one ranked Clemson team, A&M last year in the Orange Bowl, whatever. But when they don't get a good O-line play, you're getting boat raced by Georgia Tech and, and some of these other teams that you should be beating rather handedly. Not going to improve until Stacey Searles is gone. I, I'm going to be honest. You try you compared it to the defensive line. I, I think that's disrespectful to the defensive line. I don't even think the talent's really there at the level it needs to be. You, every one of those guys on your offensive line right now that's starting is either a three-star, one of them's a walk-on. Now, look, Kieran Johnson 
a great story. Hell of a worker. No one's going to deny that. He's developed himself into a a legitimate ACC player. He's probably one of the bottom of the ACC offensive linemen, but he's still a starter, and he's a guy that's helped Carolina out big time over the past two years. Um, Joshua Zudu, you look at him. He was a three-star who has developed into one of the guys that a lot of people look at as one of the better offensive linemen in the league. Marcus McKeithen, same thing, another guy who was a three-star. These are not the level of guys that you're going to need if you want to be a good offensive line unit. I mean, even Clemson, they haven't developed the talent and they haven't landed the five stars on that offensive line. They've landed the four stars, though. Carolina's got to start landing those guys if they even want to be on that level consistently. And that's my concern with this group. I agree with you. I think at this point, there's no way Stacey Searles is coming back at the end of the season. I think they're going to hold out till the end of the year and then Mac Brown will make his staff changes. But this is a group that you just want to see some of these guys that we have seen as a part of this offensive line unit for years step up. You want to see Joshua Zudu step up and be the Joshua Zudu that we've seen in the past. You want to see Marcus McKeithen take things to another level. Jordan Tucker be more consistent at right tackle and try to keep some of these talented pass rushers off of Sam Howe. If you can see that at times... That is going to at least allow for some of these wide receivers that we are throwing out there to have some time on these deep routes to potentially get open. And that's what you're asking for right now. You have got to have that deep threat in this offense. Out, we, You mentioned how it is so important to have the running backs. It is so important to have the deep threats in this offense because if you don't have those – you're really going to struggle to put up the type of production that you want to. Mac Brown, I think, phrased it best earlier in the season when he said this is a big play or no play offense. Mm. That's not a great thing to have. Nope. <laughs> You've got to get that solved. So we'll come back here to the Heel Tough blog podcast. We'll take a look at our new record predictions for the season, uh, and then we'll get ready to head out of here give you a couple of closing notes on the recruiting trail. Make sure you stick with us. Uh, we'll come back right after this message from DraftKings. We'll be back to the Heel Tough blog podcast after this message from DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this weekend? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bet. Winner, winner, chicken parm dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, welcome back into the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnotta, Josh Marlowe with you. Let's get into our 
record predictions for the 2021 season here as we sit seven games into the year. Carolina is four and three. We are going to readjust now and take a look at what we expect uh, Carolina to finish at this season. Of course, the finishing schedule at Notre Dame, that's on October 30th, home for Wake Forest. Carolina then on a short week goes to Pittsburgh on a Thursday night. They, of course, then host Wofford for Senior Day and turn around and play on another short week on Friday uh, against the NC State Wolfpack. And that will close out the season. A lot of people looking at this schedule for Carolina. All of those teams outside of Wofford currently are ranked. And uh, this is about as difficult as a closing stretch as you get uh, in college football, maybe if you're outside of the Big Ten East. Yeah, um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to really set the stage for going into next year. That's what Carolina is going to do because your head coach admitted that making a bowl game is now the goal for this season. And that was coming off being preseason top ten, preseason pick to win the ACC Coastal, Heisman hopeful at quarterback. But Mac Brown says, we make a bowl game, this is, a, is, a, this is successful. And if they do, it's going to be really hard because there's, Wofford's your only gimme. Um and, and even even that might not be a gimme, given the fact that it's an FCS opponent, but they're going to play a different style offense that you're used to seeing. We've seen them have issues in the past. No, that's if you lose that game, there's. I mean, don't hate on the Terriers. Don't, don't wait. Don't even wait until next the next week's game against NC State. If you lose that game. Every coach on the staff should probably be in jeopardy of losing their job. That is an FC. That is a middle of the road FCS opponent. You should have no issue with them. I am not with you on that. That should be a win. Five wins should be the minimum for this team. Please God, I got them. I've got them going to six and six. They're not going to beat Notre Dame. Um, I don't even know if they'll score double digits against Notre Dame. They're not going to win at Pittsburgh um, because Kenny Pickett is a legitimate quarterback, as I tried telling you all summer, and he's having a fantastic season. And Pitt, Pitt's got a lot more to play for than Carolina. I don't see them beating Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest is going to come out of that Atlantic. Um, not unblemished. I do think they're going to lose a game in the ACC play. But I And remember, that's a non-conference game as well. But I think they will finish the season with back-to-back wins over Wofford. And I think that I think the NC State is going to be a lot like when they played State a few years ago. you got to beat State to go to a bowl game. I think State will have the losses. I think they're going to lose to Wake and to Clemson. That kind of takes the, the, the steam oh, no, out of their – beat Clemson. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, just Wake. Um, I, I think the steam will be out of their engine when that happens. Carolina will go in there because Mac Brown will be selling on the point if we beat State, we salvage a loss season – I think Carolina does that. They back they back in themselves into a bowl game to 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 salvage what's going to be a loss season. So I think it'll be seven and five because I think that I'm with you on Notre Dame. I, I think there are a lot of question marks about Notre Dame. Notre Dame is in no way the number thirteen team in the country. That's a team that should, without a doubt, have a few more losses on their schedule. Their offensive line play is is really bad. That's going to be probably the worst 
combination of offensive lines that you will see on a field uh, this season. It's it's going to be horrific. Both quarterbacks are going to be under pressure all night. Um, but you're going into a place that you have never won before. And to be real honest with you, you've never really come all that close either. I don't think it's going to be much different this year. I think Notre Dame will probably win that game. I don't know about handedly. I think it'll probably be ugly, but it'll be one of those games where Carol, where, where you'll probably look and it won't really feel like Carolina has the greatest chance in the world at any point. Um, I think it'll come down to the game between either Wake Forest or Pitt because I feel like one of those two teams is probably still going to be undefeated in conference play. I mean, I know Pitt lost the game um, earlier in the season to Western Michigan. They'll probably still have one loss at that point of the season. <sighs> Wake Forest, I think, comes in undefeated. Bro, this defense ain't stopping Sam Hartman. I don't think they do either, but I mean, that's a game where I don't – there's going to be so much pressure on that Wake Forest team by that point because who knows how high they're going to be ranked in the country. Um I'll say Carolina yeah, but beats. See, their, their coach gets them prepared to play in see, week see, in, week out. This is why I'll go with them because I like Dave Clawson better than I like Pat Narduzzi. I think that Carolina goes on the road and beats Pittsburgh um, on a Thursday night. That's going to be a pressure-packed spot for Pittsburgh. The other reason why I'm going to say that, Pittsburgh plays in the Coastal. We know how the Coastal works. It is the crazy Coastal for a reason. I think Carolina gets that win. They, of course, beat uh, Wofford, and I think they'll beat NC State. I'm with you on that one because I think NC State will come into that game with a lot of pressure. Remember that NC State's already beaten Clemson. All they have to do is beat Wake Forest, and they're in the driver's seat to win the ACC Atlantic. I know, I need a barf bag myself. But that's a team that could come into that game with a lot of pressure. As you mentioned, I think that that's something Mac Brown's going to try to make sure that they're ready to go. And here's the thing at that point. You can sell that. Look, they were the team that was talking so much all season about how all, all offseason about how they were going to spoil our big season. Well, now it's our chance to do it to them. We didn't expect to be in this position. We thought we'd be in the better position than them. But Alas, here we are. Now it's time for us to go in there and upset their season. Mac Brown's never had an issue getting his guys prepared for these in-state matchups, um, but mainly the rivalry matchups. Shouldn't say the in-state matchups because they have lost to App State, uh, and they did lose that game to Wake Forest, although I think that Wake Forest team was probably a lot better than their final record said that season. But still, you feel like this is a game where Carolina is going to be pretty pumped up. I think they win three straight to end the season, and I think they finish at seven and five. We'll get you out of here. Two quick notes on the recruiting trail. Zach Rice committing uh, Thursday night. We're going to have you covered on all those fronts. Actually, when we put up this podcast, I am going to put this up on Friday night. He will have already committed. So we will have an article up uh, whether he is at Carolina, he is committed to the Tar Heels in this 22 class, or if uh, he does not commit. We'll tell you where they go from there, if they should look for other options on the offensive line, particularly at offensive tackle in the class. All that kind of stuff. We'll have a podcast edition up as well um, with me and Zach Hubbard where we break down what happened, uh, why he did commit to Carolina, why he didn't commit to Carolina, whatever. That'll all be up there for you on the podcast feed as well. Other bit of news that we wanted to tell you about, Tariels did receive a Rivals Future Cast prediction on Wednesday uh, for 2023 defensive lineman Jamal Jarrett. He has been to Carolina a ton so far this season. Carolina, of course, has had five home games. 
He may have been at every single game. I'm not sure if he was there this past weekend, but I know for sure he's at least been to three. Um, so he has been one of the most frequent visitors. Carolina, of course, already with one commit in the 23 class in four-star quarterback Tad Hudson. Jamal Jarrett is a name to keep an eye on going forward that could be one of the next guys to commit. And, of course, he is currently a high school teammate of current Tar Heel commit in the 2022 class, five-star defensive tackle Travis Shaw. So that will could, of course have some influence on his decision. So, I uh, wanted to tell you, make sure you head over to the website, check out all the stuff that we have on there. We got you covered the rest of the way through the season, recaps, um, stock reports, previews, all that great stuff will be up there for you guys uh, throughout uh, the rest of the season and we'll take you, of course, to the end of the season. We'll do our normal stuff that we do at the end of the season as well. Team awards, final grades, all that great stuff. Mid-season grades are going up this weekend, so make sure that you keep an eye out on that. Even though the Toriels don't play, we'll have Toriel football content for you over the weekend. I am going to try to put that out on Saturday for you guys to look at, so make sure you're keeping an eye out on that. Of course, check out all the Zach Rice stuff that I just told you about earlier. Those are the main things that will be headlining the website here uh, throughout the next week and a half as we uh, get closer to Carolina being back on the field against Notre Dame in South Bend on October 30th. Podcast side of things, make sure that uh, you check out um, the podcast. Uh, if you are a lo- listener to the podcast, to this podcast, to the Four Corners podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those great apps. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed so that it goes right into your podcast library whenever we have a new edition of the show. Make sure you go over to the Facebook page. Check it out. Got all the stuff that you need, articles, video podcast, audio podcast, the video podcast, still doing extremely well. We know you guys really enjoy that, even though for some reason you like watching us on camera, we still can't figure it out, but you do. Make sure that you check it out over there and uh, comment whenever we have those streams up. We are usually monitoring monitoring those. We're not able to do them live anymore because of our schedules, but we're still monitoring it. We'll still respond to the comments, all that great sort of stuff. Um, and when you like that Facebook page, whenever those go up, it'll alert you in your notifications tab that it is going live. Uh, also, check out the Twitter at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter for the official page. Me at HTB Anthony, Josh at to HTB Josh, and Zach Hubbard at Hack Zubbard too. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. <laughs>